Welcome to Talking for the Health of It with Permanente Medicine. I'm Amy Kaiser, health promotion educator. And I'm James Boyle, health engagement trainer. We both work on the health engagement team here at Mid-Atlantic Permanente Medical Group, where we serve members of Kaiser Permanente in the Mid-Atlantic region. Today, we're talking with Permanente Medicine physicians, Monica Hunya and Lauren Grawert about the state of the pandemic and what we can do to take care of ourselves and those around us. Today, we're joined by Dr. Mona Gahunya, Associate Medical Director with the Mid-Atlantic Permanente Medical Group. Dr. Gahunya is double board certified in internal medicine and infectious diseases. She sees patients at the South Baltimore Kaiser Permanente Medical Center. We also have Dr. Lauren Grawert, a board certified psychiatrist with the Mid-Atlantic Permanente Medical Group. Dr. Grawert sees patients at the Falls Church Kaiser Permanente Medical Center. And I want to start by thanking you both for taking the time to talk with us today. Welcome. Dr. Cahunia, could you start by talking about where things stand with the pandemic today? Uh, How would you summarize that? The pandemic has gone through many different phases, as pandemics do. And um, the the world hasn't seen a pandemic in, in like this in in years, um, so we're we're not sort of adept at dealing with it. Um, and also, there's so many parts to manage. But um, we were in a, a much better place a few months ago, and at the end of May um, into June, we had the lowest uh, rates of infection that we'd seen um, in a year and a half. Um, and what's shifted is we have the Delta variant as the predominant uh, variant in the US now. Um, it's hit other countries before us and we've seen the devastation that it's caused there. The good news in the US is that we have a highly vaccinated population compared to the rest of the world. So we don't anticipate that level of um, devastation here. However, um, some things do have to shift because of uh, this variant being predominant here um, and it it has changed what we'll need to do to achieve herd immunity. And so I think one of the, one of the first questions on a lot of people's minds is how effective is the vaccine in terms of protecting folks from the Delta variant and other variants? Yeah, it's an excellent question to be thinking about. Um, You know, no one wants to get a vaccine that doesn't protect them. And the really reassuring news is that the vaccines all three of them that are currently available in the US, Moderna, Pfizer, and J&J, protect against severe disease, hospitalization, and death in in an extremely effective in doing so, greater than 90% effective in doing so. Um, What we are seeing a little bit more of uh, with the Delta variant than previously is some breakthrough infections, but those are generally extremely mild. It's like having a cold or an upper, some type of upper respiratory infection when that does occur. Uh, The vast majority of cases continue to be in the unvaccinated uh, population. If I am fully vaccinated, if I've gotten both of my shots in the series, what is your recommendation on masks and social distancing? 
Yeah. So similar to what we were dealing with in parts of 2020, the situation is rapidly evolving. So if you visited the CDC website, you would see that they have a map where it shows the entire country and it shows areas of high and substantial transmission and other areas where transmission is not quite that high. And when I tra say transmission, I mean community spread of the virus, community transmission. And so there's a lot of individual decision-making that's needed at this time, which can be really difficult. And it's very hard for people to keep up with what's going on in their communities where they may be traveling. And so my advice is maybe a little bit simpler than, than others. But what I would suggest is that if you are going to be in an indoor public setting, especially that's crowded where you can't properly distance yourself and you have no idea where other people have been, whether they're vaccinated, whether they may be sick, wear a mask the risk of transmission in the outdoor setting is extremely low, but we know that almost all infections occur in an indoor crowded setting, especially in areas with poor ventilation. So that's kind of a simpler way to look at it. Um, and the other part of this is weighing your individual risk and your willingness to um, take on risk, like how risk averse are you? It's a question we all have to ask ourselves. Like how much do we want to get back to normal versus how much do we want to prevent ourselves and the people around us from getting sick? So everybody's situation is going to be different depending on your underlying conditions, depending on your age, depending on who you live with, whether they're vaccinated, you have to factor in to whatever decisions you're making. Personally, for me, you know, I, I have received uh, both doses of a vaccine and something that uh, I think a lot of folks uh, who are vaccinated or thinking about getting vaccinated have questions about is they're hearing about these breakthrough cases. Um, what are those and how common are they? Yeah, so we're still learning a lot about um, the vaccine breakthrough. So up until a few weeks ago, vaccine breakthrough was extremely rare. Um, and we're starting to see, you know, a slight uptick in it because of the Delta variant. But to date, um, most of these cases, I would say the vast majority of these cases have been very mild, sometimes even uh, asymptomatic, and it, they're only picked up because people are traveling or they've had a known exposure. Um, but the, the rest of them have resulted in mild cold symptoms. Um, the issue is, though, not for the person who um, is vaccinated, it's for the people around them who may be unvaccinated, and it gives the virus an opportunity to continue to spread. So that's where it becomes more of an issue. I know a question I've also heard a lot um, from folks in my life is, what about the kids, right? So I've gotten my vaccine. So what about uh, my young ones and uh, my family members who are uh, younger? Um, will there be a vaccine for them? Do they need a vaccine? Um, what are your thoughts on that? That is a very pressing question at this time because we're about to start a new school year. And right now there is no approved vaccine for kids 12 and under. Um, we were optimistic that a vaccine might be approved in uh, September, but it looks like uh, a little bit more safety data is needed uh, for that approval. So it's gonna be a little bit further out into the fall before we'll, we're likely to see a, a vaccine be approved. So. Again, I think um, a lot of families are going to need to make some tough decisions about the level of risk they're willing to accept. 
the good news is, is that most kids are probably not going to fall very ill from COVID. Uh, we are still learning how the Delta variant um, specifically affects kids. Um, and it's too early to um, draw major conclusions around that. Um, and so we're watching that really, really closely because in general, the Delta variant can cause a little bit more severe disease. And if that's the case with children, then that would really be um, something that, you know, uh, the public would need to be aware of. It's, it's not clear that it is yet. Um, and, um, and, and so there's gonna be a lot, each family is gonna have to make some decisions about, again, what level of risk they're willing to accept for themselves, for their children. Do their children have underlying conditions um, that put them at greater risk uh, of severe disease? You mentioned earlier that people have different tolerances for risk. How can we best communicate with others our needs and expectations around COVID-19 safety? Yeah, that's a good um, question. You know, I think the first thing is um, actually with something you just said, Amy, which is um, communicating and just starting by talking and having open, honest, transparent communications with your loved ones and with your friends about how you're feeling. Um, I always say communicating um, by talking, not by social media, um, because sometimes social media can just exacerbate things because you see the, usually social media brings out the extremes of opinions. So talk, communicating actually by talking with your friends and family does several positive things. Um, first, just talking helps to get things off your chest. And actually a lot of research shows that it reduces anxiety levels just by talking. Um, but it also helps to set expectations with friends and family members and to get everybody on the same page about what you want to do in different situations. Like Dr. Cahunia was saying in terms of, hey, when we go out in um, outdoor areas, what do we want to do um, as friends and as family members? When we go indoor, what do we want to do as friends and family members? So it does a couple of helpful things. It helps to reduce anxiety just by talking about it, but it also helps to organize um, close family and friend, friend units to get everybody on the same page on what the game plan is going to be. So it sounds really simple. It's not rocket science, but it actually does a lot in terms of both anxiety reduction and um, organizing people on what their game strategy will be. Um, and to go back to just highlight what Dr. Cahunia says, not everybody is going to have the same comfort level. Um, but talking about it, I think just kind of does a lot in terms of reducing the fear and also kind of saying, hey, here's what we all kind of feel comfortable um, with. I think Dr. Grauer really hit it on the head. Um, I can tell you that uh, recently, a personal experience, um, my family was trying to plan a vacation slash family reunion. There are members of the family who hadn't seen each other um, in you know 18 months and babies that I've never even met that were born during the pandemic. Um, and they wanted to take an international trip and uh, we had to have a family meeting to discuss, did that make sense given the different risk profiles of the members, different members of the family. And then we came to a really nice middle ground, but it took some back and forth, some really good communication and some reasoning on all sides uh, to, to land at a good solution that worked for everybody. 
Do either of you have any advice about starting that conversation with those around us about our safety needs and expectations without blaming or shaming others' choices? Mm, That's a great question. (laughs) Um, You know, as a psychiatrist, our rule of thumb when we're approaching anything that um, could be viewed as um, controversial, I'll just say, is open-ended questions. That's always the best way to go, especially if you don't know the other person's point of view or if you think they might have a different point of view. Um, So in this case, um, James, I think one way that's um, always... um, fail proof. Yeah. Fail proof. We're going to say fail safe. Fail proof um, could be, Hey, I'd like to have a discussion about what our mask slash COVID protocol is going to be. What are folks thoughts on that? That's a great, very open-ended way um, that is um, not accusatory um, or consuming versus one that might not go over so well is, Um, hey, I want to make sure everybody is wearing a mask, who's on board, that could maybe not go over so so well. So I always say open-ended is best. Um, Hey, you know, I'd like to talk about how everybody feels about um, COVID-19 and what we would like to do as a family, what are folks' thoughts? Um, So the more open-ended you can start a conversation like that, um, I say the better and then see where it goes from there. Yes, I'm thinking about having a conversation um, with folks in my household. So I live with other people. And so it might look something like, you know, um, you know, I've been thinking and and hearing about social distancing and masking at this point. Um, You know, what are folks thoughts on that? Yeah, that's perfect. That's perfect. And you have to anticipate, well, you know, the larger your family or friends, the more likely it is that there might be varying viewpoints. So starting open-ended is great, but then maybe having a game plan of how you, you know, very basic game plan of how you might want to um, compromise or address people who have varying points of view, a very basic game plan. Um, And that might look very different to different people, but starting very open-ended, but then having maybe some thought if, you know, um, 15-year-old Mary doesn't want to wear wear a mask anywhere, um, um, but 90-year-old cousin Sally wants a mask everywhere, uh, if you think or anticipate that that might be how the conversation goes with an open-ended discussion, um, what are some thoughts on what might be a fair compromise um, and maybe, you know, it, it, whether it be going back to something that Dr. Cahunia said or something else or whatever that might look like in your family. If you have maybe some, a couple of different game plans or a couple of different ways that you um, have thought about in advance um, is always helpful rather than just kind of going in with the open-ended question and thinking, well, let's see where it goes. <laughs> it's always good to have maybe you know, a couple of different avenues that you might try to steer the conversation um, with those open-ended questions. 
Yeah, and I'll just add one thing to this uh, conversation. Um, and I'm sure Dr. Grauer can certainly appreciate this from both her clinical perspective and maybe even from a personal perspective. But one of the things that we're all battling at this point um, is uh, pandemic fatigue. And what's happening is, you know, people have this urgency and excitement to get back to normal. And just three or four weeks ago, we really thought we were getting there and more and more restrictions were being lifted. And um, we were traveling more freely, seeing our relatives and our friends and, and including myself. And so, um, you know, I think it's very hard for people to, at this point, step back from that and accept that, um, that might not be this, you know, we might not be able to be as free as we were, you know, thinking we would be. Um, and that our new normal might have to shift a little bit with the changing dynamics of the pandemic and the variants. And um, again, people are going to need to make decisions that make sense for them, their families, on uh, the level of risk they're willing to accept. But um, just acknowledging that pandemic fatigue um, when you're talking to people is really important. Absolutely. I would 100% um, echo what Dr. Cahunia said. Um, and also, also acknowledge that the pandemic fatigue is, comes in varying degrees depending on the age group you talk to, um, with some slight differences. But um, I see it a, a lot more um, in our younger age groups, um, particularly with the preteen and the teens who are just totally over this, you know, they really, it's really hit them hard, um, being isolated from, um, friends in particular, um, and not really, I think, fully understanding, um, maybe the, the science behind it. So they've really been hit by the impacts without, um, fully understanding, um, the, the why they've, they've gotten the consequences, but they don't quite get the why. So really big, um, pandemic fatigue with them. And, um, um, to some degree, it all, I think, I think with the elderly as well, I mean, really, really, you know, it, it, it of course, um, as Dr. Cahunia probably appreciates, um, or understands more than me, um, it has hit them the hardest, both from a medical perspective, um, and also from a psychiatric perspective with isolation. So I have just seen it um, hit our, our age, like our, our extremes of age groups, the preteens and the teens, um, and then our, our elderly population, um, particularly hard, the, the COVID um, fatigue. And um, it's, it's kind of like a marathon. They being kind of, you think you're towards the end, but it could really be maybe the middle <laughs> of something. And so, yeah, trying to explain to people, um, please keep up the awareness and the safety measures um, when they've been doing it for so long is, is, is really tough. Yeah, Dr. Grauer put that just so well. And, um, and talking about the extremes of age, I think suffering sort of the most. And um, there are a lot of people who are older who have been extremely isolated to protect themselves. Um, and they were so excited that they were finally vaccinated and could be with their grandkids again and do all of the things that they missed doing. And so, um, you know, just really important to recognize uh, how they're feeling. 
Um, and also, um, I've heard that there are a lot of questions and trust issues with um, the public health authorities because of the changing guidance. Um, and I think it's really hard for people to appreciate that the guidance changes because of the, the shift in, in the virus um, and in the pandemic and in what we're seeing. And so, um, and so that's something that we have to get better at communicating and uh, explaining to people. And I just want to make sure to say this at some point, so I'm going to say it now, is that the vaccines remain our most powerful tool against COVID, and we never can lose sight of that. And uh, it's more important than ever that people who have been waiting uh, get vaccinated as soon as possible. Uh, I've been talking to patients and the public and the communities uh, about vaccines uh, throughout the pandemic, but the urgency that you hear in my voice today is at a different level because of the Delta variant and other variants that are, um, you know, behind it. And so um, one of my colleagues has uh, said this, that, um, that it's a race between the vaccines and the variants, and that's truly what it is. It is a race. And so we have to outpace the variants and the way to do that and to make our communities healthier and return to a more normal place is for everyone to get vaccinated. And one of the things I've been telling my reluctant uh, patients lately is the vaccine could be the difference between somebody getting you know, mild cold-like uh, symptoms versus ending up on a ventilator uh, in the hospital. Can you address what concerns people have about the vaccine? And what are you hearing from patients who don't want to get vaccinated? how fast the vaccines were approved and developed is probably the number one concern. So, um, and, and they worry that science was skipped uh, in developing these vaccines. So uh, once you're able to show them, you know, what went into the trials and how many people were in the trials and how the CDC is continuing to monitor um, any side effects related to these vaccines through a very robust program that they have. Um, and then, you know, um, people feel a lot more comfortable. So that I would say is, you know, uh, foremost on, on folks' minds. Um, other than that, there's some common ones. There's concerns among women uh, regarding fertility and um, certainly among pregnant women, there's um, a little more hesitancy. Uh, the good news is um, there's been more and more data to show that these vaccines are safe and effective for pregnant women and women who plan to become pregnant. And the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology just actually came out with an even stronger statement than they had previously uh, just last week um, recommending uh, the vaccine for um, women either who are trying to get pregnant or are currently pregnant. So we've been talking a lot about you know hesitancy with the vaccine and you know children are one of the groups who are still being um, researched as far as vaccine efficacy and effectiveness and safety. Um, so a question I have for both of you is, what would you have to say to parents who are anxious about sending their children back to school this fall? I think the probably the first and um, most common answer I give is to just, um, recognize that emotion and validate how they're feeling. Um, first of all, because it's, um, 
very understandable to be um, anxious about that. I mean, I'll, I'll say on a personal note, I have a four-year-old, um, he'll be in daycare or he is in daycare, but um, I worry for him, um, you know, not being able to get vaccinated and I have a five-month-old. So I worry for both of them and certainly on a personal and professional level understand um, and can sympathize with those concerns. So that's the first thing is just to, to um, validate how they're feeling. Um, and then second of all, and um, you have to be careful about this because you don't want to minimize how they're feeling, but um, you know, to understand um, that to some extent, um, and this might, this is probably going to Dr. Cahunia's territory, but we know that um, most of the time in infections um, in children are milder, most of the time. So I guess as a parent, that, that I, I try to remind myself of that, that, um, you know, for the most part, if they were to get um, this illness, that um, they, should fare, they should fare better than if someone in their 80s or 90s gets it. Um, so that helps me to feel, you know, validate their parents' emotion um, and then remind them that um, most of the time if the child were to get it, um, um, they should fare better than someone who's, who's much older and unvaccinated. Um, so those are the two main things I think right now. Of course, most you know parents are worried about the Delta variant, as Dr. Gahunya um, alluded to, and I guess I would transition to her and you know ask from a maybe the more medical perspective what else um, um, she would say. Yeah, so I will actually share uh, both the pr uh, personal and professional perspective. I have uh, two school-aged boys, uh, eight and ten. And um, they have been virtual this entire time, but my older son is going in fifth grade. He's a, he is a social butterfly. Um, he, he really thrives on engaging with others. And so um, he did surprisingly well at the beginning of uh, being virtual, but I know that it's time for him to be back in school with other kids. And I think um, weighing, you know, the the risk, of course, as a parent, you never want to put your child in harm's way, but you have to think through what is best for them, uh, both from an educational standpoint and from a health perspective. I think um, what we did see um, last year and uh, over the yeah over the course of the last school year is that in most schools transmission was really relatively low with some very simple measures put in place such as masking um, distancing I know especially in public schools is, is difficult um, but uh, the masks and uh, hand hygiene uh, at least of the staff and I, I know kids it's very hard to get them to have good hand hygiene but um, it was critical. And with those simple uh, preventative measures, um, most transmissions in schools were able to be prevented or, or when there was a transmission in schools, it was picked up quickly. Um, and those kids were, or staff were taken out of the school. I think I'm, ho I'm part, I, I feel hopeful that a lot of staff um, and teachers are, are going to be vaccinated um, and won't be uh, bringing the virus into the school. Um, I feel a little worried about the Delta variant um, because it is more contagious. And what does that mean? And what does that look like in schools? 
I don't think we have the answers to that just yet. Um, but uh, I think that schools are really going to have to think about um, their policies around masking and distancing and testing uh, and what makes sense based on their size and their capacity. But um, just to add to that, yes, um, in general, kids do much better with COVID than older adults and people with immunocompromising conditions. So that is another reassuring uh, piece. And so what advice would you have for, um, you know, kind of home life uh, when you either have uh, kids who are going to school, uh, uh, housemates and family members who are going to work? Um, are there any precautions that you might take at home for a situation like that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's the, the good news is, you know, it's what we need to do is relatively simple. So, um, and, you know, we we know that indoor, transmission is primarily indoors and in poor ventilated settings and crowded settings. So when possible to avoid crowded, poorly ventilated settings, and if it's not possible to wear a mask in those situations, um, to pay attention to hand hygiene and um, to you know distance when 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 possible. So it's really three simple things that it comes down to. Um, get back. Well, actually, four things. <laughs> the most important thing get vaccinated, get all your family and friends and coworkers and anyone you can convince. And it's all of our jobs to collectively, you know, talk to people and hear them out and, 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 and get them to get vaccinated. But then, you know, depending on the situation, be prepared to wear a mask, be prepared to clean your hands often and be prepared to try to distance yourself from others. And before we wrap up, could you all share with us where folks can find the most up-to-date information moving forward? So kp.org is a really great resource uh, for information about COVID. Uh, and so we definitely are keeping it as up-to-date as possible with uh, the latest uh, guidelines um, and what you can do to keep yourself safe. So please definitely uh, visit kp.org often and check back and feel free to reach out also to your trusted doctors uh, to get uh, verify what you're reading and hearing. And I wanna add all of us, including healthcare professionals, public health professionals, um, we're learning as we go because uh, this is a new pathogen that we're dealing with and the pathogen itself, SARS-CoV-2 virus itself is evolving. And so, um, Again, I would ask people to have a little bit of patience and understanding if what we say, you know, two weeks ago is different than what we say today, but it's because of new things that we're learning. And we all have to do the best with the information we have at hand at any one given time. And as new information comes to light, we may change the recommendations and we may change guidelines. And, um, I think everybody has to ex accept and be ready to uh, change. Um, and so um, the CDC uh, is probably the most reliable source of information for the general public, uh, rather than any one news station or certainly not social media. Um, and they're trying their best to keep things as up to date as possible. And they're doing their best to um, be, you know, make decisions that make this most sense for most Americans um, and and people that live here in the U.S. And considering all 
levels of, uh, of society, including people who are older, who have underlying conditions. Um, so I would say, um, you know, check the CDC web pages, check your local health department as well, though, because the situation is quite different in different parts of the country. And even within the DMV, there are pockets of areas that um, where their situation is quite different um, because people and not as many people are vaccinated. So check your local health department website. You can even get alerts from your local health department and emails pushed to you about the current uh, state of COVID, what uh, guidance is recommended. Um, so I think between your local health department and uh, the CDC, uh, you can stay well informed. For folks who are struggling with their own mental health, um, what resources are available to them? Um, and uh, what would you recommend that they, that they do? Yeah, you know, the great thing is that here at Kaiser, we really, really prioritize mental health treatment. And um, what that means is we want there to be no barriers to people getting uh, mental health. So you can call our appointment line and get an appointment same day, next day with a um, psychiatrist um, or therapist. And so I really encourage anybody struggling to call and get an appointment. Um, there's also um, the Calm app and um, other digital therapeutic apps um, that we refer people to that are free. And um, just on other general notes, um, the, National the National Alliance of um, Mental Health, NAMI, they have a great website um, that's got a lot of more broad um, resources for patients, and that's just nami.org. Uh, my other favorite website is a website called Find Your Words, findyourwords.org. And it's got other great resources um, for depression, anxiety, uh, mental health in general, stigma, de, um, destigmatizing mental health. Um, so nami.org, findyourwords.org are great websites. Um, the Calm app. And um, then again, just giving us a call so um, that we can... Um, get you in for treatment. Um, we try to keep as minimal barriers as possible. Thank you, Dr. Grauert and Dr. Gahunya for joining us today. And thank you for listening. Check back for future episodes on wellness topics and specials covering specific areas of health. This has been Talking for the Health of It, and we'll talk to you next time.